Welcome to Common Ground Berlin, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot-button topics in the German capital and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Today we are talking about a plot that is as bizarre as it is chilling. Led by a prince, a judge, and a retired paratrooper, the plotters plan to assassinate the German chancellor and overthrow the federal government. But before they could carry out their plan, the ringleaders and 22 others were arrested during a counterterrorism sweep last month across Germany. Dozens more people were charged after the raids. So was their plot a fringe one, or is it the tip of an iceberg that endangers Germany? To answer these questions and more, I'm joined in the studio by the Spiegel National Security Reporter Fidelio Schmidt, Maximilian Ruf of the Violence Prevention Network, who is a research fellow at the Center for Applied Research on Deradicalization, and political scientist Hajo Funke of the Free University of Berlin. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hi. Thank Hi. you. Fidelius, you've written extensively about this plot by the Reichsbürger, or citizens of the empire, who reject the Allies' partition of Germany after World War II. Who are the key figures who were arrested last month, and what is significant about them? The most interesting figure is probably Heinrich XIII's Prince of Reuss, a descendant of a dynasty that has ruled parts of Eastern Germany over centuries. He's an elderly gentleman now who's for a long time tried to get his family's belongings back. He hasn't managed and he's said to be very bitter about that. Now he has formed a group around himself consisting of former special forces, a judge, a Russian citizen, and also people who believe in metaphysics and ideas coming from space. So are these fringe people or is there something that we need to know about them? Uh, the group is divided into two arms. One is the council and the other one is the military arm. Now, the former paratrooper, Rüdiger von Pescatore, is retired, but he has a special forces background. He was also involved in a plot to sell off weapons that belonged to the army of eastern Germany before and has been convicted of that. There is another guy who is doing survival training, so he probably has military capacities, and there is an active special form of soldier. So if you look at that plot, that thought of overthrowing Germany, you can probably say it was very unlikely they'd succeed with it in the end. But with this kind of people and with lots of weapons and money, you can do all kinds of very dangerous things. So, Maximilian, are there other key figures who aren't in custody that we should be paying attention to who have this sort of thought process or planning process here in Germany? I think it's really hard to say regarding this particular plot and coup, but definitely 100% there's people from the wider scene or spectrum of Reichsbürgertum, sovereignism, self-administratorship in Germany that aren't in custody. Most of them aren't in custody um, and are quite relevant and have been quite relevant for years and decades, I think. There's prominent figures such as the supposed or self-proclaimed king of Germany, Peter Fitzek, that is, is a quite prominent figure and still attracts large amounts of followers and so on. So there's a large scene, there's leading figures within that scene. They're not necessarily connected to that plot, but there's definitely a lot of people in that wider spectrum that are dangerous to our democratic system and then pluralistic society, I think, um, even though most of them probably aren't plotting to overthrow the government at the moment. Although I suspect that there may be more and more 
sub-organizations, sub-groups within the spectrum that are maybe a little bit emboldened by these plots and also by the wider developments in the wake of the pandemic over the past two years. It's alarming that a sitting judge who had served in the Bundestag, as well as former military officers, were part of this plot. Hayo, how pervasive are conspiracists and Reichsbürger, for that matter, in the German government, military and judicial system? Only to a degree. Uh, they found out now uh, this kind of plotting group and there are others. So there is a kind of uh, uh, danger uh, described by uh, very specified politicians regarding the interior, the national security. They say there is a kind of underground network and we have seen that by the former NSU who did uh, these terrorist attacks. And Can you describe who the NSU is for those who may not know? National Socialist Underground, who did nine murders against especially uh, Turkish uh, background people. And the problem was that they weren't succinctly addressed and counteracted by the national security offices. And even after the uh, end of this group, Parts of the security offices are not engaged enough to go after them, especially the former Office for the Protection of uh, the Constitution. Then this changed. And then the national security offices said, okay, we have to go after. Because there was a wave of violence and even some murderous attacks in the late uh, tens um, against uh, politician in Kassel and the attack against the synagogue in Halle and, and so forth. And so they are aware now, together with the politicians in the uh, democratic parties, especially also in the Office for the Protection of the Constitution and the BKA and so forth. So we have a new situation, but they are not effective enough to go after all of this potential uh, terrorist groups. But with the uh, awareness of the politicians and the uh, institutions of the state, they can counter it and they can contain it. So there is no whatsoever chance that they do a coup d'etat. So we can't compare that with the situation of the 6th of January in Washington. Yeah, that was actually going to be another question. Um, but in response to what you're saying, Fidelius, some critics of the raid say they were an overcompensation for German authorities not dealing more aggressively with the far right early on. Is that criticism justified? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's another criticism and that's coming from the far right itself who says, oh, they weren't dangerous at all. I want to say to that, think of Islamists. They believe in all kind of crazy things that are probably never going to happen and nobody would ever think they are not dangerous. So, from the other part, is that an overcompensation or an overreaction? I don't think it's that simple, because the federal prosecutor has identified individuals together with domestic intelligence and police, and has decided we're facing a terrorist group. Now, if you have a terrorist group of that size, and a federal judge gives you arrest warrants, I think it's a bit far-fetched to say, oh, you're just overcompensating. This is not members of parliament who are saying something for the sake of being in the media. These are prosecutors and they work according to the law. 
Was it needed to arrest them all at the same time, involving more than 3,000 police officers? Yes, it was necessary, because you can't take a terrorist group apart, arresting one by one. You're nodding, Maximilian. You agree? I do agree that it wasn't an overcompensation. I think it was a necessary step and hopefully also a sign, actually, uh, a sign of a certain maybe policy shift of an increased awareness, as Hayo said earlier, um, that this is a is indeed a problem in Germany. We, we had a very concrete problem with that particular group, but we've been having this problem of sovereignism, Reichsbürgertum and similar groups and merging conspiratorial thinker scenes over the past years and actually even decades. And it hasn't been taken seriously, even though there were murders, there were intimidation, there was physical violence, there was communicative violence um, on a number of levels. So I think uh, it's actually a good sign that the state and our politicians are taking this more seriously. Hayo, I want to follow up on something you said about the 6th of January that happened in the Capitol, you know, with people overrunning the Capitol building, uh, which was traumatizing for myself as an American to watch, and I'm sure many oh, others, <laughs> yeah, for even for non-Americans. I want to take it a step further and ask you, do the Reichsbürger and the others who were connected to this plot have any connection to the U.S. far right? For example, the Proud Boys, who obviously were involved with January 6th, or to QAnon, because I know Kvyadenka were sort of part of the thinking, but do they have that direct connection to these American far-right groups? Maximilian uh, knows better, but what we know is that the internet communication and also with QNN persons here and there, and this is the case quite a while, especially since Unite the Right in uh, 2017 in Charlottesville, where the extreme... Um, far right in the United States tried to unite and then they weren't successful. But in this situation, there was a lot of interacting uh, communication between there and here. Maximilian, I want to ask you about another American phenomenon, and that is weapons. In the U.S., getting guns is easy, but that's not the case in Germany, or at least it's not supposed to be. What happened in this case here in Germany when police found so many weapons and military-grade equipment, and how does that complicate efforts to prevent violence and radicalization here in Germany? I'm not an expert on weapons law in Germany, but we do have a surprisingly high amount of firearms per capita still, even though we have a relatively high standard of weapons laws. We do have a lot of like shooting sports in Germany, and a lot of the people from these scenes are also active members of shooting clubs. For example, also that former judge um, and former AFD member of parliament apparently was a shooting sports enthusiast. So there's lots of people within these scenes who have legal weapons and legal access to weapons. And that's also been one of the main pillars, maybe the main pillar of our Office of the Protection for, uh, of the Constitution was to act against those legal gun ownership and to revoke weapons licenses and so on. Um, but we also see, obviously, that through connections to the Bundeswehr, to the military, um, weapons and ammunition get stolen, actually, from our armed forces by different networks within the far right, within sort of prepper scenes, within doomsday accelerationist uh, groups and movements that intersect to a certain extent. And that obviously makes it a lot more dangerous, even though I do agree still that we weren't actually facing a real coup. Uh, we were definitely facing a prospect of serious violence on a number of levels. If I, uh, Maxime, uh, Fidelius, I go ahead. Yeah. yeah, what just came to my mind with regards to our weapons rules, I fully agree. It's way too easy to get a gun. We're always saying our laws are so strict, but just join a, a shooting sports club and you can easily have one. You're just required to store it safely at home. Now, what's interesting in that respect is 
after the Rampage Tarnow, there was a debate about getting gun law stricter, and it was mainly the Conservative Party who made it not happen. And I think that's hypocrisy. Do you agree, Hayo? Oh, full scale. You know, especially the Hessian national security policy and security policy of the Minister of Interior and the representative uh, of the Constitution, of the Office for the Constitution to secure, this has been all very weak and even scandalous. We talked about American connections. Um, Fidelius, were there any connections between the plotters and Vladimir Putin or Russia? (laughs) That's a big question. There was a Russian citizen, a woman, who allegedly had a romantic relationship to Prince Royce, and she attended an event at the Russian consulate in Leipzig and another one where she took uh, the leader of the group, Prince Royce, with her. Now, does she have active connections to Russia? Probably because her family is from Kaliningrad, but does she have active connections to the Russian state in the sense of its political actors or even secret services? I don't know, and I don't think the federal prosecutor or domestic intelligence know for the moment. So one quick follow-up question to all three of you before we go to break. Do you consider this plot a fringe one or the tip of an iceberg that endangers Germany? I know you don't think there could be a January 6th, but I'm just wondering, is this just a fringe movement or do we need to be paying more attention? And we'll start with Maximilian. It obviously depends on what you define as the fringes. But what I think is interesting about that group and also the wider scene and what we've seen over the past years is that these people are not what mainstream, supposed mainstream society thinks of as extremists. They don't look like extremists. They don't feel like extremists. They're our neighbors. They wear functional jackets. We've seen this also in the Pegida movement. Um, They don't come across as extremists. We've had people who are really at the heart of the center of our society or even the the higher echelons of our society, um, if you look to Bavaria, who are now arrested as part of this plot. So I don't think we can say that it's a fringe plot anymore, not from the people who make up this field and that plot, um, but also not regarding from the parts of our society that these people come from. It's fringe to a certain extent when it comes to numbers. Obviously, it's not the majority of Germany isn't part of that movement, but it's growing. So um, it's a growing number and it's people from the midst of our society. Yeah, I think it's a tip of an iceberg to a certain extent. Um, Yes. I I couldn't couldn't agree more because you have a growing number of people from the middle class, Germany's pride, that is actually denying the state by itself and its democracy, its institutions and its rules. And yeah, they're not about to shoot around, but if something's dangerous for a country, that is. Mind you, I had a chat to the head of domestic intelligence the other day and he kind of said, well... Fortunately, Germany is still a more stable democracy than the United States. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought you'd ever say that in your lifetime. But <laughs> it depends on the question, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but looking at this, yes, I guess US is further down the road, but it doesn't mean we're not on it. Do you agree, Hayo? Are we on that no. road? No. You don't agree? No. That's you good. Know, We'd like to have debate. <laughs> yes, hopefully. You are right. It's out of the midst of the people. And the denying quality of this uh, paranoid thinking is dangerous in itself. So I uh, 
criticize uh, the services when they say only 5% are right-wing extremists. They, by definition, all right-wing extremists, if it's combined with anti-Semitic thinking, with paranoid thinking, and this is the case. So there's a kind of denying quality also in some aspects of the security offices. On the other hand, there are only very seldom these kind of dangerous groupings that will indeed um, do terrorist attacks on the state level. And this is why they won't succeed, uh, because they can do a lot of harm. Storming the Bundestag would be a dangerous, crazy things and deadly. But it can't be a coup d'etat with follow-ups like uh, we have had up to today in your country in the United States. Isn't it already a problem when what we've all agreed on transpires into votes at an election? Everybody <laughs> knows that you can start to overturn a state by winning elections or getting very close to winning elections and then forming all sorts of yeah. coalitions. This is, yeah, right. This is the case in the United States. Uh, still now, although now the Republicans uh, are not in the good shape, but up to yesterday it has been a, a very dangerous uh, split of the nation. We don't have that. Uh, this democracy is stable because, you know, we have the AFD as a right, mostly right-wing extremist party in the Bundestag. But these are 10 to 12, sometimes 9, sometimes 7, sometimes 15 percent, but not 30, not 40, not 45. And this is the difference on the one hand. On the other hand, all the other democratic parties, including the conservative party, I have to admit, are not structurally right-wing populist or even right-wing extremist parties. They try by opportunistic needs to be populist. They're flirting with it, aren't right, they? Playing with it, right-wing populists, some racist, as we have had in the 80s by the Minister of Interior. But they have to go back to this kind of mix that this party is stable on. You know, the Christian part of this party, the liberal, the conservative, and the right-wing populist. So they have to go back. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll talk more about the plot and what steps can be taken to prevent a repeat. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Abby, presenter and co-creator of Berlin Briefing. Do you find yourself having trouble understanding the news of the Hauptstadt, usually presented in German? If so, Berlin Briefing can help. We curate local top stories and present them in an 8-10 to minute podcast in English every Monday through Friday. You can find us at berlinbriefing.de or wherever you get your podcasts. Democracy. I'm Rachel Tausendfreund, one of the hosts of the German Marshall Fund's podcast, Out of Order. Join our conversations with leaders and experts on what the dark side of tech does to democracy, how the pandemic shapes geopolitics, and other topics of global order and disorder. You can find our episodes and miniseries at gmfus.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We are the German Marshall Fund of the United States, strengthening transatlantic cooperation since 1972.
Welcome back to Common Ground Berlin. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and joining me in the studio are Der Spiegel National Security Reporter Fidelio Schmidt, Maximilian Ruf of the Violence Prevention Network, and political scientist Hayo Funke of the Free University of Berlin. We are talking about the implications of the bizarre Reichsbürgerplot to assassinate the chancellor and overthrow the German government that last month led to sweeping raids across the country and 25 arrests. And as we noted before the break, this isn't some fringe phenomenon. So let me start with Hayo. Does the German military and judicial system need more oversight, given the fact that a sitting judge and former and current Bundeswehr officers have been linked to various far-right plots and the recent arrests? Yes, it would be uh, good that we have more oversight by the parliament, by the institutions of the interior, uh, controlling uh, the Minister of Interior and the other state forces to secure the nation. But they are on on a good way, I have to say. Since two or four years, uh, since the end of the uh, old representatives of uh, the Office for the Protection of the Constitution, Hans-Georg Maaßen, for example, and others. So uh, they had a wrap-up of their institutions, and they are quite capable to contain the dangers. Okay, and Maximilian is wants to add something. I do agree that we're on a good path. I think, especially on the state levels, there could probably be more done, because I agree that on the federal level, when it comes to the federal office for the protection of the Constitution, um, there have been improvements. I think in some states there's probably more to be done. Um, and I think we shouldn't only look at this from the repressive side, but also from the sort of um, awareness and capacity building side. Because I think lots of these institutions aren't aware of the susceptibility of their own staff and their members to maybe authoritarian thinking. There's a lack in, in these institutions, um, a lack of awareness and a lack of willingness to acknowledge that there's a potential problem uh, and then to maybe engage with that. Uh, that doesn't mean that every police officer, every military personnel has a tendency to be a right-wing extremist, but there's definitely, we've seen developments that indicates that there may be an issue, an overarching issue within these institutions. I think we should tackle it from both sides, both from the repressive side and then with the awareness-raising preventive side as well. Yeah. I mean, many people in those institutions tend to say, oh, these are singular cases when right extremists are exposed, you know, about these chat groups of police officers. But the Minister of the Interior of North Rhine-Westphalia said, well, it's a bit many singular cases. (laughs) And I think that's what you're saying is the awareness raising that there may be a structural issue is the right thing. Let me ask you a follow-up um, question. Um, I'm sorry, no. did you want to add something, Hayo? May I? You may, absolutely. Okay. I just have to add that I'm with you with respect to the societal side and to the internal side of awareness programs within the institutions. You are right with that. Thank you. <laughs> We're waiting for a but. <laughs> but. I know, that's what I was waiting for, but that's okay. If there's no but, we'll go to the next question, which is a follow-up for Fidelius, which is, if the approach of the German police and authorities is improving to tackling the threats more quickly and seriously, why is right-wing violence on the rise? I can uh, add to something to that. Oh, so you want to answer first, Heil? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. There has been this lack of awareness and practice of these institutions in the last decade, in the 10th. Uh, We had the problem of the NSU, then we had the refugee debate. And this all comes together 
And the rate of violence has risen since the mid of the last uh, decade. And we had the attacks in Hanau, you mentioned, and in Halle, and also against uh, the politician Lübcke in Kassel. So that has been the case all the way long. And the awareness was lacking within these institutions. And then uh, at the end of the last uh, decade, in 18 and 19, there had been changes. They tried to face up to a right-wing extremist danger, to a danger of uh, rising extreme right-wing violence, together with uh, seeing that the AFD is... Um, going more and more radical. But that doesn't mean that they could topple the rise of violence in a minute because it has been driven by other forces in the society in this 10 years before, by Pegida, by other movements, and then by the pandemic movement, the so-called Querdenker movement. And with that in the background, we are in a good shape because now the awareness is there. The awareness is more than we have had it in the public. And also politicians are more aware, even especially the Minister of Interior, Faser, Konta to Seehofer and others before. So we have a change in the mood and in the practice of these institutions since only some years, two, four, six years and that has consequences to contain the violence, but not stop the violence. But we are in a better shape than in the United States because of a president who steered up this violence, as we know now. Uh, the last president of the United States, you mean Trump? Yeah. Right. Maximili <laughs> Maximilian, what do you think, though? I mean, is it that <clears throat> we're just more aware of right-wing violence, or are we seeing more right-wing violence, or is it that they're catching it more? I mean, what are we seeing here with this rising awareness? It's probably a mixture, I think. Um, we're more aware, and because we're more aware, we're catching more. But at the same time, I think uh, that what we saw over the past two years, um, the, the Kvedenka movement and so on, um, and the merger of that movement with other movements, I think that may be also contribute to a certain mobilization of further potentially violent action. I think that's also what happened to some extent with that coup attempt or that group. And that may be a difference compared to what we saw with other Reichsburger groups in the past, which remained relatively quiet um, and relatively focused on themselves and not that much focused on, on proactive action against the state. So I think these developments may change that a little bit as well. And I just hope that awareness also stays there because from a sort of prevention and countering side, we've seen these waves in attention to different extremist phenomena, right? So we've seen after 2001, um, everybody focused on Islamist extremism, when only in the mid-90s people started focusing on sort of classic neo-Nazis and right-wing extremism, but then the attention shifted towards Islamist extremism. Nobody cared anymore about right-wing extremism and let it go, basically. There's no funding structures for not that many anyways. Now that's turning back a little bit. Now we're focusing more on the right. Uh, and on Islamist extremism, but I think there's also other m movements and the nature of extremism is a bit changing also in our societies. It's not just that clear binary anymore between Islamist extremism and right-wing extremism. The landscape and the nature of the threat and the nature of the risk is changing a little bit and we need to adapt these programs and, and remain a bit more constant in our efforts and, and move away from these waves. 
Fidelius, uh, I want to give you a chance to add something to that. That's very kind of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To come back to the question you asked before, if authorities have recognized a problem, why hasn't it stopped? I think we'll have to separate between two things. One is repression, in other words, containment of the most dangerous effects, like with climate change. One is containment and work with the effects of it, and the other thing is uh, tackling the thing at the root and tackling it at the root, as you've just said, is not going to work within a year, probably decades. A and B, the problem with it in this case, I think I picked this up from you, and Maximilian, is you don't have an ideology you can work with. All kind of things are blended together, but they do have in common that they're disappointed by politicians, by the media, by the state itself. Now, a group of people that's disappointed by the media and disappointed by politicians, how are you reaching them? It's very difficult because they're kind of in the self-radicalized space. They talk to people that think the same. They're reading the news produced by Russian propaganda outlets, vaccine opponents, whatever deniers. I think the grassroots work is probably always the most difficult to do, but especially on this one, I find it, you're the expert on it, it's part of your daily work, but it must be extremely difficult. So then let's talk a little bit about the steps that need to be taken. I want to actually focus on one thing in particular, and that is controls on social media, because a lot of this communication that goes on, and this goes across the age group, surprisingly, although maybe, I don't know, maybe the oldest Reichsbürger are not on the internet, but I would argue that most people are getting their information there. So should there be more controls on social media, especially platforms like Telegram, where the Kvadenker and conspiracists converse? Maximilian, I'm going to turn to you first, and then I'm going to ask Kyle. There's probably people who can speak to regulatory responses to that a little bit better than I can. But uh, what we definitely have is a is a um, an enforcement problem when it comes to controls. To some extent, probably also a legal problem and a lack of legal regulations and frameworks, but also just an enforcement problem um, of actually enforcing crimes that are already designated as crimes within the digital space. I think that's a big problem. We've seen that uh, numerous times over the past years. So that's, I think, a big issue that's also, again, tied to the awareness issue um, within the system and within the institutions. And hopefully there's going to be a change in that. I think we've seen some positive indications, but I think it's actually, again, comes down to capacity building and enabling our institutions, our security institutions to actually follow up and enforce um, the rule of law within digital spaces and not that much a a question of lack of regulations. Hayo, do you agree? I agree. It's very difficult to control the bad side of the social media. And maybe uh, the prevention thing has to be widened uh, to things of education that people may be aware uh, that the destruction of their own society by this kind of paranoid thinking is a bad thing. And I know that according to uh, sociological studies that 80 to even 90 percent are sticking to the basic law, to the Menschenwürde in the first paragraph. And so uh, they know also to a degree, you know, some subconscious but also consciously that the alternative is what we had, a kind of... uh, destructive national socialist regime. 
So I'm going to ask a final question to all of you, and that is what other steps or what steps do each of you think need to be taken to combat and reduce far-right violence and plots in Germany? Things that aren't being done now or things that could be done better? I'm going to try and tie it back also to the sub-phenomenon that we started with, which is Reichsbürger and then that scene. Because I think we're quite aware of the regular far-right and right-wing extremist scene in Germany, and we know a lot and we know a lot about how we can and could counter them if there's a political willingness and an institutional willingness to counter them. So I think if that's there, then we would be quite prepared. Uh, we just have to follow through. I think we're not prepared when it comes to Reisberger and Querdenker and, and these merging scenes. I think we have a lack of knowledge there. Um, we haven't engaged with them and uh, with similar experiences in the past. We have a lot of knowledge, for example, also uh, positive knowledge that we can learn from from Canada and the US when it comes to freemen on the land and sovereignism and so on. And there have been programs in dealing with them. Um, and so we can learn from that definitely. We can also go to the local level in Germany, to the rural levels. We have people who know how to deal and how to interact with these people. So I think there's a lot we can do there when it comes to creating uh, further knowledge and improving our understanding of that topic. So further research, obviously. Um, I think further prevention work is definitely something that needs to be done. We're seeing an increase in that, as I said, when it comes to the right-wing extremism field again. Um, luckily, also on social media, although I think social media is only an expression of... I mean, we don't live in a separated world anymore, right? It's a world that's... Yeah, in a post-digital world, the digital and the non-digital are intertwined. So we shouldn't only focus on that and make that sort of the bad thing that we point at, but we should take it as one expression of our society and then try and work with people across all levels of that society, which means in the digital scene, but also trying to reach them offline uh, in their real-life living situations where they are. And that's more difficult with people of an older demographic. And that's part of the development, I think, that we're seeing, particularly when it comes to Reisberger. That's... It's older people and they're harder to reach. You can't just go into schools. You can't just go into youth centers and whatever uh, and reach them. But you have to find other ways and be a bit more creative. Hayo, how do you reach the older people then? By addressing their social needs, by the addressing uh, feeling isolated, by a good communal democracy. There are good experiences, also in the United States, by the way. And uh, if this is not possible anymore, then uh, these people have to isolate it if they are against uh, the law and, and uh, this is uh, due to the institutions of securing or security, uh, the state institutions by repression and containment. And then the last word goes to Fidelia. So what steps do you think need to be taken to combat this or what could be done better? I think we're on an okay route of improving. I think the most important step is about to be made, which is to stop belittling the Querdenker and Reichsbürgers as harmless not-cases. They may be in some respect, but in others they won't. Now, the second step is repression, criminal prosecution and prison terms. I think that can already change a lot, and especially prison terms also to older people mean something. That's our show for today. Joining me were Der Spiegel National Security Reporter Fidelia Schmidt, Maximilian Ruf of the Violence Prevention Network, and political scientist Hajo Fonka of the Free University of Berlin. Thanks for being on Common Ground. Thank you very Thank you. much. Thank you.
And thank you for listening to Common Ground Berlin. Our senior producer is Dina El Sayed. Our social media editor is Stefano Montali. And I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Common Ground Berlin is funded by a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. And our partner is the German Marshall Fund of the United States. All of our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CG Berlin Podcast. We'd love for you to write us a review if you are on Apple or subscribe to and rate our podcast on Spotify. You can also check out past episodes on our website, commongroundberlin.com.